Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 3, Boston's Big Four on the Believe Podcast Network. Home base for all things Boston sports in the true city of champions. Where this business here is a 24-7, 365 day passion. You can find the show on Apple and Spotify. Also Google Podcast. New releases every single Tuesday. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. If you're a returning listener, like I said last episode, welcome back and thank you for the continued support. If you're a first-time listener, welcome in. Happy to have you. All of our social media platforms are up and running. If you want the info on that, it's on the Believe Podcast website. That's B-L-E-A-V. Let's get right into it here. Don't have to do any introductory statements this week or everything. It's Boston's Big Four, the four bigwigs in Boston. So it's going to be a fully loaded football edition this week. Spent a good portion of last week's program on the Celtics. Not much has changed there. Losing another one to the 76ers at home last night. The Bruins are dealing with plenty of COVID here and are shut down until after Christmas. In fact, the NHL suspended all operations last night from December 22nd to the 25th. And uh, during that period of time, no practices, no testing. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here on the Bruins. And there's plenty of times to talk about the, the, the Red Sox. Okay, plenty of time. But the lead story here in Boston with more than enough talking points is the Patriots after their loss on Saturday night, seeing their winning streak dead at seven. First loss in a long time. And it dropped the Patriots to nine and five. The defeat was 27-17 at Lucas Oil Stadium. Of course, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. And Saturday night for the Patriots, it was a story of too little, too late, and a loud playoff environment. And the Patriots now have eight days until they face off against the Buffalo Bills. So as Bill famously said once, on to Cincinnati, on to Buffalo. Except we're not going to do that here. We are going to get caught up on what took place Saturday and the events of Sunday, how that plays into the playoff picture. And I'll tell you this right off the start. Saturday night's game, yeah, that ruined my Saturday. That ruined my weekend. It did. It put me in a damper mood. I'm one of those... You know, I cover it. I try to stay loyal to the profession and and breaking it down as an analyst. But watching that game, I got caught up in the emotions. I did. I did. So we're going to make our way through some of the more specific talking points from that game. I'll give you the big picture thought from Saturday to start off the program. And then those smaller talking points, Mac versus Wentz, Bill's decision to kick the field goal. Was he right? A couple of days now to to sift through some of the different opinions from others out there and come to my conclusion. And did we get our answer about Mac's ability and this offense's ability to play from behind? And we all love here in the holidays, the blame pie, right? Pie in general. I actually don't like pie, but I like blame pie. I like to slice it up. So we'll get to that uh, before making our way to the larger looming questions like, was this just a bad day? Or were the Patriots exposed in Indianapolis? And, and, I'll throw this out here, because we will tackle this tonight. No pun intended. 
as bad as we feel today as Patriots fans, can Saturday night's loss turn into a net positive for the remainder of this season? But let's backtrack here. Saturday night, Indianapolis, everyone amped up for the first game, 12 days, the Patriots off of a bye. Can they keep this winning streak going? And it was business first, pleasure second. I found myself back at my house instead of out with friends, like a lot of you probably were, sitting on my couch with my laptop out, making notes about a game that to me was an utter, utter disappointment and letdown. But what did the Colts do on on Saturday night? Well, I'm going to feed you those old cliches that you hear, or at least one of them. The Patriots got a dose of their own medicine. We all expected better coming off of a bye. What we saw Saturday night was what we saw for a large part of the front end of the season, the first six weeks, where there were mistakes up the yin-yang, the offensive line couldn't block anyone, the defensive line got pushed around, Mack looked like a rookie in this game, there was no real run game to speak of, they had costly mental mistakes and penalties all over the place, they're getting punts blocked. Bill is making decisions that, in my feeling, were a little timid. And I wanted more. I wanted more from this team. I expected more from this team. And what you saw was the Colts wanted it more. They were the team that was ready to go. From the very opening kickoff, it felt like a college team running out of the tunnel, ready to play their opponent, who on the other sidelines is sitting there saying, oh, just another one on the schedule, just another game. And that's not to say that the Patriots took it too lightly, but it actually is. Because in reality, they weren't ready to go. They weren't ready to go. They were beat at their own game. And they knew what they needed to do to keep that number one seed. They know what they needed to do to be the team that dictated play in this game. And instead, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And it was in due credit to the the, the Colts. But it was also to blame on the Patriots side of things. A key aspect of this game was always going to be the ability to set the tone with your physicality, with your toughness, and the team that was most able to play the game that they want to play and dictate the terms of the game was most likely going to come out on the positive side of things. And if you look at this game up front and in the trenches, the Patriots were owned on both sides of the ball. The defense was better in the second half, but they still weren't really able to limit that run when it counted. And I think the Colts got very conservative in that second half, which helps the defense look a little bit better in that second half. And you go back to big picture, being able to run the football or stop the run, at the very least limit the run. The Patriots were outgained 226 yards on the ground to a measly 81 yards on the ground. Not having Damian Harris didn't help that. But I thought the Patriots with Brandon Bolden and Ramondre Stevenson, who I actually think is the most complete back on this team, maybe not the best quite yet, but the most complete back on this team, I I thought they would be able to do a little bit better in the run game than they turned out doing. But I think a lot of that is on the offensive line. And I look at this Colts unit, And I say, they're not exactly the 86 Bears. Or for more recent examples, they're not exactly the 2000 Ravens with Ray Lewis. They're not exactly the 2021 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Another team which people just don't want to run the football on. 
The Colts came into this game ranked 16th in rushing yards allowed per game and an ugly, ugly 25th in the league in yards per carry. Now, if you look at the analytics and the DVOA and all those type of numbers, which you know take into consideration other things rather than just box scores, they're a better unit than the 16th and 25th respected rankings that they have in those categories. But this is to say that they weren't exactly the most dominating front and linebacking core you face. They're smart, they're quick, they're fast, but they're not exactly run stuffers. Football's not much different than any other profession, right? It, it comes down to you could be really good at your job, you can be really good at your profession, but if you don't exert the right effort and focus and come prepared for whatever job that may be and do the preparation ahead of time, you won't execute it at the level that you're capable of. If you have to take a test, and we've all taken tests, and there are 20 questions on a test, and for 10 of those questions, you cover your eyes and doodle on the page like a toddler with a crayon. I don't care how good you do at the final 10 questions. I don't care if you get them all right. The end result isn't going to be good enough to pass. For the first 30 or so minutes, the Patriots were flat. They weren't ready to go from the whistle. They spotted their opponent 20 points. They turned the football over two times. They had a blocked punt for a touchdown. They committed eight penalties for 50 yards. You're not going to win many games unless you have a great quarterback. And I mean great. The ultimate cover-upper blemish remover. Like that guy that Bill just let go down to Tampa. But we're past that. In the big picture summation here, the Colts started fast, which they've been known to do. The NFL's best first half team, if you're looking at point differential. The Colts controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They ran the ball better. They were better against the run. They won the turnover battle. They were the team that had less mental errors and dumb mistakes. And their best unit beat the Patriots' best unit. Altogether, they were better in all three phases of the game, including game planning. Which, if you want to know my perspective, and you do because you're listening, so I know that, Frank Reich used Bill Belichick's game plan from Buffalo on Bill. That's genius and funny, and funny for Frank Reich, who's now got the best of Bill on a couple of occasions. That Super Bowl when he was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles, and Saturday night, which was, we're going to run the ball, you know we're going to run the ball, and we're still going to do it. We're going to shut down your best unit, which is your run game, in this case for the Patriots. And we're only going to throw it when you force us to throw it. We're only going to put the ball in our quarterback's hands when we're forced to do it because under these circumstances, that guy is the guy that is most able and the most willing to turn the football over, which is definitely something that Carson Wentz is willing and able to do, which he did on Saturday night with his poor decision-making and the one Indianapolis turnover coming out of his hands because he just couldn't help himself. Which is a perfect segue to the quarterbacks here. Mac Jones on one side, Carson Wentz on the other. The one thing both these guys had in common Saturday night is neither were very good. They both hurt their teams. They both forced throws or didn't see things that they should have seen or weren't able to make throws when they needed to. They both had turnovers that were costly and at points in the game where their team really couldn't afford it. 
The difference is, is Carson was asked to do a lot less. He had a 17-point lead, only having to throw the ball 16 times to get that lead. He finished the night 5 of 12, 57 yards. 30 of those yards he had coming into the fourth quarter. So 30 yards coming into the fourth quarter, which comes back to a pregame thought, the pregame takeaway that we discussed on last week, which was which team is going to be themselves and which team is going to be able to be themselves, I should say. They're both old school formula teams. Line up, run the ball, impose their will, physicality, control the line of scrimmage. And the Colts were able to be that team more. They were the old school team. They dictated the play. The Patriots, for the first time, had to call on Mac to play the game one-dimensional. No running game, shoddy line protection, and they needed him to win them this football game and not to lose them this football game. And the Colts on the other side, and Frank Reich, to his credit, was able to manage Carson Wentz so that he didn't lose the game. And that's very similar to what Bill did in Buffalo under different circumstances because of the weather. I think that Bill trusts Mac Jones a lot more than what we saw in Buffalo, even if he didn't trust him that night. But the Colts didn't ask Carson Wentz to go win them this game because they know that he can't do that. They know that he is a turnover waiting to happen. And in this game, coming into it, I thought Mac was going to be the quarterback less likely to turn the football over. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for Indianapolis, did a good job, once again, at bringing extra rushers at Mac, second-level rushers, delayed rushers, which has been a problem at times for Mac, and it was on Saturday night. He finished the game 26 of 45, 299 yards through the air, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a 57% completion rate, very low by his standards. And it was really the first game that the mistakes really caught up with the team. And Mac has made mistakes throughout this season. Every quarterback does. Every rookie quarterback does. Mac has made a lot less and a lot fewer than other quarterbacks. But it was really the first time that he cost them a game in a sort. He was a factor in them losing this game. And you really can't say that if you go back and over some of the losses from the beginning of the season where there were a lot of other pieces that were ahead of him on that pecking order. And we'll break down the blame pie here coming up. But sticking with Mac for another minute or so here, I do think in this game he looked a little bit more flustered and confused and stressed than I've seen him all season. There have been points through this season where he's had those moments where he's confused by something that he's seen in the defense that he hasn't seen yet, or he's stressed about the outcome of a certain play or a sequence or a half. We've seen that. That happens with all quarterbacks, especially rookie quarterbacks who are learning on the job. But again, Saturday night, I see him on the bench looking like a lost little boy at the grocery store who is, oh my God, look at all these people. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Where's mommy? Where's daddy? And I'm overplaying it for dramatic reasons, but he did have that moment and he has had body languages uh, or body language that I don't necessarily love at certain times. The New Orleans Saints game, he looked like a lost little kid pulling at his hair, like, oh my God, this moment is huge. And I think if there's one thing that you can always come back to is, okay, that's how you look. And body language is big. 
But what does he do when he gets back on the field? He doesn't let it carry over. He doesn't let that body language, whatever you may see on the sidelines, he doesn't carry it over to his demeanor on the field. He's resilient. He has good response. And that ability to shake off a bad play, whether it be a bad read at the line of scrimmage, whether it be a bad decision with the football or a poor throw, he doesn't let it affect him. And that's how good leaders go about the next play. Forgetting the past, there's nothing you can do about it. Bill Belichick always says it. We're not worried about last week or last season. We're worried about what's in front of us, the next step. And that's how Mac Jones really goes about handling his business. Listen, the second half wasn't brilliant. Mac was on the list of the reasons why the Patriots lost that game. It's not like he was stellar in the second half and lit the box score on fire and blew everyone away, but he got better throughout the course of the night. He made some throws where he absolutely needed to in moments that the Patriots had to have it. Great touchdown pass to Hunter Henry. Great placement on that pass in the end zone. A great deep ball to Nikhil Harry. 43 yards downfield. He's getting rushers right in his face. About to get hit. Does get hit. Still delivers a great ball to Harry and gives him a chance to make a play. Which surprisingly he did. Look, it's not the only time he's done this had bad performances, bad starts, or bad sequences in a game, and he's come back late in games and answered the call. The Los Angeles Chargers game, that wasn't a very good game for him. Yet when they needed to have it, a 14-play drive, where I believe he was 6 of 6 passing the ball on that drive, and they capped that game off. Versus the Cowboys earlier in the season, a game they didn't win, but he throws an interception, looks like a backbreaker, Instead of, once again, kind of falling back into his shell, young kid, growing with the moment, what does he do? He steps up, goes right back at Diggs, and throws a touchdown pass. Yeah, it was a blown coverage, but it's ballsy and gritty that he went right back after Diggs. How good this kid will be, only time will tell that. I I don't know. I don't know if his ability is going to make him a top five quarterback or a top 10 quarterback, although I expect him to be in the top 10, maybe on the fringe there, but at the very least. But the winning traits of being able to bounce back, not let something affect you, get the leadership and respect of your locker room, deliver in big moments, don't let the bad affect the future and what you can do and what you can control. And that's why I have the level of faith in Mac Jones that I do. Because those are winning traits that you can't teach. Now turning the conversation to one of the more controversial and debatable decisions of the game, which was Bill Belichick's decision to kick a field goal down 20-7 to in the fourth quarter with about nine minutes remaining to remind you of the situation and, and paint a little bit of a picture for you. This decision came after the Patriots, Devin McCourty, intercepts Carson Wentz. The Patriots work it down inside the Indianapolis 5, down to the Indianapolis 2. They have a third down and two. Michael Onawenu was brought in as a sixth offensive lineman who promptly gets called and flagged for a false start, giving the Patriots third and goal from the Indianapolis 7. Draws an incomplete pass from Mac Jones and then the decision. Bill Belichick settling for a field goal making the score 20 to 10 instead of going for it on fourth down. Now we have the benefit of 2020 hindsight. 
It's always easier to Monday morning quarterback than it is to actually play quarterback. That's why it's called Monday morning quarterback. You can second guess. But at the very time that Bill went for the decision, I didn't like it at all. I understand the thought process and the reasoning behind it. Bill counting on his defense, his best unit, to come through with two stops when they ultimately need it the most. Timely stops. Asked upon his best unit, the unit that he has full control of now, regardless of titles or who the broadcast will tell you is calling the plays. This is Bill Belichick's defense. So I understand that he expected his defense to make a couple of stops. They made the first one. Now it took five minutes to do so. The offense then responded in their own right, went down the field, scored a touchdown with two minutes and 21 seconds remaining. But ultimately, the defense not able to get that second stop. Jonathan Taylor busts the game-winning touchdown, the icing touchdown of 67 yards. So here's why I didn't like it. It's simple. It's plain. It's something that we all do. Risk, reward. The risk versus the possible reward. And to me, risking it to get that touchdown and what that would have meant for the game was worth that gamble. Now, I saw analytics on both sides of the debate. Metrics that said, if you go for it, you have a higher win probability than if you kick the field goal. I also saw numbers that said going for it, the percentage of successfully converting a fourth and goal from the seven didn't seem to to be something worth testing. I'm not someone that always says be aggressive. I'm not always someone who says be conservative. In this situation, though, I thought it best suited the Patriots to be aggressive, where if you successfully score the touchdown, you make it a one-score game, it's 20-14. to The Colts now maybe get a little tight. They've seen 20 points of a lead start to wither away. They're in their own building, and now maybe the Patriots are able to come back and put the gas and the pressure on Indianapolis. If the Patriots don't get it and they fail on that fourth and goal, then Indy has the ball at their own seven. In all likelihood, they're not going to be aggressive with their play calling. They'll be conservative. They're not going to put it in Carson Wentz's hands down inside their own 10. So they'll probably hand the ball off. So you still need to get two stops. You still are counting on your defense. You've just now pinned them back. You need two scores. One of them needs to be a touchdown, so does the other, opposed to one of them being a touchdown and one of them being a field goal, but you're still counting on your defense, and at that point, Indianapolis probably conservative with their play call, punt the ball away if you get the stop, and you get better field position to score one of those touchdowns that you need. So I understand the ideology behind it. I can see both sides of the argument. I personally would have gone for it, but okay, they didn't. But one thing that's crawled up my keister as I've listened here over the past couple days to people's reaction is, well, it almost worked out. Bill almost nailed it. Well, almost doesn't get you anything. And just because he almost achieved it doesn't mean that it was correct. It doesn't mean that it was the better decision. So that's one argument that you're never going to win with me. I, I can see you making a case for both ways. I tell you my way would have been the better way. But don't tell me that, well, it was the correct way because it almost worked out. Well, almost doesn't get you anything. I think we got somewhat of an answer, though, to the question that's long loomed over Mac Jones and this offense, at least in sports talk radio world, and the fodder that goes on there. I don't know that Mac Jones and this offense is ready to completely carry a team one-handed 
to a victory, down multiple scores, able to come back and win a game solely based off of the passing attack. And that's not a slight on Mac. I just don't think this team right now is built for it. And I don't know a lot of rookies that are capable and ready to do that. There are a few here and there, but Mac Jones isn't one of them quite yet. And that's not anything to be upset about. That's not anything to say he can't be in the future. But right now, he's still growing. He's still learning. And this team is built for stingy defense, a dominant run game based off of strong offensive line play, and just an efficient passing game. He's not meant to be the focal point of your offense. Now, he has the ability to elevate in certain situations. But I don't think that this team is going to win a game in the playoffs, playing from behind, not multiple scores playing from behind. They haven't done it a lot this season. Jones hasn't been asked to carry this team a lot in the season uh, with his passing attack, with the passing attack. And I I just don't know that although there's some room and margin for error, I don't think it's quite what people would like it to be. But I don't think that that's really fair to him to say he should be able to do that at this point in time. It was nice to see them fight back against the Colts, but the Colts were playing not to lose. They were playing it safe because they didn't trust their quarterback. So it didn't really tell me that the Patriots can come from behind versus a competent, trusted quarterback just because they did it on Saturday because I don't think that that team trusted their quarterback. But Mac Jones will give you a chance in all these games based off of his never-out-of-it mentality and his mental toughness. But the defense has to do their part. So who's most to blame? Let's dole out this blame pie in the holiday season. Is it the offense? Is it the defense? I'm actually going to throw a little curveball at you. I'm going to say it was the special teams unit. Bill, who soaks all that money into the special teams department, gives up 10 points. Their third block punt of the year, this one being for a touchdown. They have Brandon King, a special teamer extraordinaire, jump offsides on what was a missed field goal, giving the Colts another chance, turning into a positive field goal. So that's the unit I place the most blame on. Then it is Mac, Mac and those mistakes because he did cost them points before the half. He did kill momentum coming out of half, gave him a chance, but not quite enough. And then the defense, because the defense wasn't able to get timely stops. That's their best unit. That's the unit that needs to be counted on in these games to get those holds, and they weren't able to, and they also gave up three first downs on fourth down, and that's not good enough. That blame pie was split amongst players and units that actually played on Saturday. Maybe the most blame should be for Bill Belichick for not having his team ready to go after a bye, not having them locked in, focused. It is on the players to execute, but Bill who was given so much credit for the win in Buffalo and having that team ready for the elements based on how they prep, based on focus and and keeping them locked in. They weren't ready to go in this one. And that's coming off of a bye where Bill Belichick is 32-11. and That's 15-7 and in the regular season, 12-1 and in the divisional round of the playoffs, and 5-3 and in the Super Bowl. One of those Super Bowls came with only one week of preparation, so that's why it's 5-3. and And he's been given a lot of credit this year for possibly his best coaching job yet. He's been right more than wrong this year. But Saturday, I'm not letting him off the hook, which is why he was Mr. Pissy Pants after 
the press conference or during the press conference and had to apologize. So Bill Belichick definitely assumes a large slice of that blame pie. So bad day or exposed? I'll tell you right now, I don't think this team is a group of pretenders that are front runners. I don't think anything like that. I don't think they were exposed. I think what we saw on Saturday is they're mortal. And if they don't show up with the right amount of focus and and get off from the very beginning, that they're not good enough to overcome extremely sloppy play. They're not this bad. They're not this dumb. They're not poorly coached. We know all of that. They have a competent quarterback. They have a very good defense. They have a good running game when healthy. Their offensive line has had its problems, but I don't think it's a bad unit by any means. What I do think is something worth watching here as far as being exposed is maybe that run defense, which is now the the second time in three weeks where they've been gashed on the ground. Tennessee did the same thing. And I think the red zone offense is another unit where we already knew it. I don't know if they were exposed, but it's definitely an area of concern for me where they're not scoring enough touchdowns when they get down there. And in the playoffs, they're going to need those points. They can't be settling for field goals. But they still play extremely complimentary football. They're still very consistent and well-rounded. And I think they've established themselves as at least one of the best teams in the AFC, if not the very best team in the AFC. And it's hard to say best team coming off of a game like this. But they weren't exposed. Just a bad day. And they need to get back to work. The last point that I'll answer here is a question I posed at the very beginning of the episode, which was, can this loss turn into a net positive? Look, it's never good for a loss. It's never a good time for a loss when you look at standings and all of that. But losses can be wake-up calls. And it was really hard to expect this team to win 11 straight games going into the playoffs, get that bye, and then win three more games to take a Super Bowl championship back to Foxborough. No team in the last 12 years has won more than 10 consecutive games. That's regular season and postseason. And that last team to do that was the 2016 New England Patriots. They won 10 exact and won a Super Bowl that year. The last team to win 12 or more games and win the title, the 2003 New England Patriots, who won 15 straight. But look, Can this be a wake-up call? Absolutely. I didn't think they needed an ass-kicking, but watching the game and then listening to them post-game, whether it be Mac Jones or Matthew Slater or Jamie Collins yesterday, this team maybe needed that wake-up call. And I trust Bill Belichick and these players who have that 2-4 and mentality. Maybe this gets them back to 2-4. and That's been their motto all year long, underdogs. So this better be a wake-up. And I think they can fix their flaws and their fundamentals and get back to that preparation that made them so good or go on a seven-game win streak. And you can only control what you can control. They can't control the number one seed right now. They need help. But they do control their own destiny in the AFC East with a matchup that will decide, in all likelihood, the division on Sunday versus the Buffalo Bills. And there you have it, episode three of Boston's Big Four in the books. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and you want to hear more, please subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, basically. New episodes coming every single Tuesday. Be sure to follow the show on social media. We have an Instagram, we have a Facebook, we have an email. 
Thank you for loaning me your ears and your attention. We know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be well, be healthy, be real. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.